This is the new Metro New York market. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Brian Choi, Managing Partner and CEO of the Food Institute. I'd like to welcome you all to this afternoon's webinar, State of the Protein Industry. Today, we welcome three industry leaders to share their insights on the current state of the meat industry and what they're expecting in 2021. We have Zach Romanoff, president of Omni Food Sales. Zach's family has been in the food industry for five generations. Zach was exposed to the food industry since he was seven years old, watching his father create and grow Omni Food Sales into one of the largest perishable food brokers in the Metro New York, New Jersey market. Today, Zach runs all day-to-day -day operations of Omni. During his tenure as president, Omni has won multiple Broker Vendor Partner of the Year awards. But I'd like to hear each of your views on what are the real consumer buying patterns that has driven this outperformance of meat. Okay, Zach, anything or you want me to move on? Yes, I think a big factor has been the economy. Uh, one interesting factor that I learned recently was that pre-COVID, for every dollar that was spent on food, 50 cents was spent in the supermarket and 50 cents was spent on food service or restaurants, clubs, etc. So we all know what's happened during these seven months. Those other options have depleted. And my heart goes out because I have friends that are restaurant owners and, and they're struggling and have been struggling. And just listen, if you could produce product and you could get it to your customers, then you are in business. At the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of headlines about supply chain and distribution disruptions. Uh, where do things stand now? And what, what are some of the gaps that still need to be filled for supply chain and distribution to go back to normal? And possibly, uh, Zach, you might want to start a little bit on your end. Basically, it's, it has not been a one-size-fits-all for everyone. Uh, the different manufacturers that Omni represents, you've had leadership tested from the top all the way down to the bottom. And we, on a scale of one to 10, there are some product lines we represent that literally we cannot sell product lines to customers. Imagine that for a salesperson, you've been trying to chase business for years. All of a sudden you get an opportunity and you literally cannot sell that product right now. So at some, we're at zero. There are some that are in the middle that are, it's changing week to week. It's a fluid situation. And you've got to check and be in touch with your VP of sales and the whole team with production to find out how it goes. And then you've got other lines that are at 98% and some guys that are at 99%. So it's literally, everyone's being tested, everyone's being challenged and the value and importance of communication throughout a company has been um, multiplied throughout the last seven months to say the least. If you had a weak link, if you didn't have someone that was hungry for all of the business, you know, you were left at the dock and the boat went off and all that, the beautiful curves that Anna Marie showed you were not going to be part of that. So, and I know some brands were left at the dock. Um, you need someone that's actively fighting for all these orders and then communicating with the customer. Hey, I may have a stockpile of 10 POs right now and they may not all get there at the same time, but we're going to communicate with this customer. We're going to let them know, all right, you wanted 1500 cases, we can get you 700. And then I need you to write a new PO and then we're going to back that and then we're going to fill it later. And that's what it was. And everyone dealt with that. So that's what we dealt with across the board and our team really fought for every case. And that's kind of what has been the savior through COVID. And brands that didn't communicate and brands that accidentally shipped product to one part of the country and it didn't get to your customer for six weeks in a row, if you didn't put your hand up and call an email until you got a response, 
your customer was left dry. I would also add that, are we being questioned or prepped for increased demand? I don't think it's a matter of if. The COVID cases are now increasing across the country. We're being told by our major customers and retailers to get ready now, like, like upwards of 30% compared to last year's holiday season. Get ready for it now because in our part of the country, restaurants have been 25% capacity. They were hoping to get to 50% capacity by the end of the year. That is looking less and less likely to happen. They'll be lucky if they keep the 25% capacity that's right now. Guess where all that business is gonna go back to? To your local neighborhood supermarket. So get, get ready for it, because it is coming. Thank uh, thanks for that, everyone. Um, so going to our, our fourth question, uh, specifically about the retail side of the business. Um, how have retailers been adapting to the increased consumer demand and supply chain constraints? And what are some specific examples? I mean, Zach, do you have anything else to add? Absolutely. I would just like to say, when we look back on this time, five years from now, 10 years from now, we're going to be looking at frontline workers at supermarkets, frontline workers, the line workers at manufacturers, brokers, distributors, and everyone in between as the stars of this pandemic, along with doctors and nurses and everyone that's helped treat the disease. For the nation's food supply to shift almost overnight to entirely supermarkets and to have virtually zero shortages, out of stocks or store closures is so impressive. The food industry to me is the shining star of the pandemic. No, at no point have I been more proud to be part of the food industry to see how everyone has stepped up you know, the expression pressure breaks rocks and makes diamonds. You know, leaders of food manufacturers and retailers had to figure out a new business model overnight. How do you handle a new multi-million dollar expense of PPE, of plastic guards, of everything else that comes with social distancing, things that we don't even know about, the testing, the staggered shifts, people that don't want to come into work, manufacturing facilities, I'm sure Ken can tell us more, these places are built and designed to cram as many machines and people into a closed space as possible to maximize space. Under normal times, we would give manufacturers five years to make the changes that they have been forced to make in this seven month period. And really it happened overnight in March. They really did it in a month. So what retailers are doing, you know, there was a time early in March where people couldn't get into work. People couldn't get into the DCs. So, so items were cut off, like Anna Marie said, but we figured out a way. Essential items made their way, now everything's back in. I kind of feel like supermarkets have figured it out for the last couple months. We've had seven months of a sample size. They understand how to handle it now. What I think now is I'm looking at this thing a little bit down the road, down the bend, and I think this is a chance for innovation. Of course, in the Metro New York market, there are some mergers and acquisitions going on, some retailers just couldn't handle the pressures of COVID just knocked them into bankruptcy or are actively looking for a retailer to acquire them. You're going to see more consolidation in the Metro New York marketplace in the next 12 months, guaranteed hands down. But where I look down the road is California opened up an Amazon Fresh store last month, and that has the dash cart. The dash cart has a computerized model on the actual cart. It scans your items as you walk through the store. You don't have to wait to register to, to log out. You're in and out of the store, contactless, frictionless. I think the underlying theme that retailers need to learn, and it, again, in more of the charts that Anna Marie has shown, 
traditional supermarkets are are in the pole position. They're number one. There's online, there's there's club, there's discount, there's specialty, and all these other guys do something great. But this is kind of like, does anyone here use Facebook? You know how you have those disappearing stories you could put on the top? You know, that is a function that they took from Snapchat and they ingratiated into Facebook and it maintained Facebook's position as prime, as the leader spot at number one. This is the time for traditional supermarket retailers to look at that Amazon Fresh store, to figure out how to get a cart where you don't have to wait in line to waste your time to go through checkout. This store has Alexa checkpoints. You can literally go to a blue kiosk throughout the store, say, where's the green beans? And it tells you in aisle six, row three, you know, similar to Home Depot. If you wanted to buy a hose, and it could tell you online before you go. It's in aisle seven, row six, bay three. You don't have to wait and search for someone because in some supermarkets now, you know, you're walking around and you find someone in the frozen aisle, but he's upset because he's got to pack out a frozen case. He doesn't want to walk with you to the dairy case to show you the bacon because he's upset because he's got to pack out the case. Customer service needs to enhance in addition to technology. The retailers that can figure out how to give technology, which will improve people's time, and then customer service, those are going to be the, the factors that are going to be brought into successful retailers, and they will combat the Amazon, the Whole Foods, which we've seen. They've dropped their prices three times since the acquisition. So retailers are really challenged now, but they have the resources. They have the trust of the majority of consumers in America, and this is their chance to improve and really protect themselves from outside competitors. Um, currently, meat alternatives represent a very small percentage of the overall consumption, as seen by Emery's slides. Um, however, they've been growing at a much fa faster pace compared to traditional meat categories. How big of a threat or opportunity is alternative meat over the long term? I absolutely agree. Plant-based is an opportunity, and I'm glad that they're slotted in the meat department because it brings more people into the case. Um, what we're going to see is plant-based coming to, to receive the benefits of economies of scale. It's in its infancy right now. And plant-based in some locations is more expensive than pork or beef, which I'm sure some people are scratching their head at the checkout and saying, how could this be? But it's because it hasn't reached scale yet. It's in its infancy. In the next five to 10 years, you're going to see the cost come way down. It's going to be hyper-competitive with the amount of brands that are trying to secure this business and watch for the for the breadth of items that are gonna come out. Like tofurkey, you know, there's already that, but I can see roughly virtually every item in the meat case being duplicated that will have a plant-based option available to it. So I think there's gonna be a lot to come. Great, thanks for that, Zach. Um, our sixth question is about education. Um, how is the meat industry educating consumers on areas of animal welfare health and sustainability. I think this is something that the meat industry needs to not take consumers for granted because as animal insights have shown, the percent of people that believe that meat or poultry-based products are a, a part of, the, should be a good part of their diet, there's a, a difference in perception from boomers to millennials to Gen Z. It goes down a little bit. And whereas as a millennial, the generation before me, it was automatic. We just thought protein, meat, that's part of the diet, that's it. The Gen Zs are, are thinking differently. So as millennials become the households of influence for the next 10, 15, 20 years, 
you've got time before Gen Z comes into real buying power. But when they do, you can't take these consumers for granted. So I think we need to start educating in a better way. And we need to use technology to do it. Some companies are putting out Facebook videos now and YouTube videos now, short two-minute clips to educate. But it could be as easy as going to a supermarket and putting screens on the shelves and have that be motion activated so you literally wipe your hand across and then a short two-minute video comes across. It tells you what's the difference between breast meat and thigh meat or what's the application or what are the different ways that you can use this or what are the great recipes that you can make with this. I think this is something that we can do better of and, and having people talk. Like, for example, I know a lot of the trends say that, you know, the deli counter, people don't, we need to go all prepackaged right now. And, and maybe in meat too, let's go all prepackaged. But I'll tell you what, in my part of the country here in New York, there's a good amount of people that like going to the butcher and like talking to the butcher and asking for the cuts of that they want and get it sliced on the spot. Same thing with the deli. There's rows of prepackaged. They still want to talk to that person. So maybe the trends show us what's going to be down the road, but let's not totally eliminate person-to-person -person contact in stores because there's a good amount of people that want that right now. Right. Thanks for that. And uh, our last question, um, and given uh, you know for interest of time, since we do want to take some Q&A from the audience, um, what are the key risks and opportunities going forward as we look into 2021 and beyond? Zach? Uh, for manufacturers, it's how do you maintain these unprecedented levels of orders and still be able to focus on uh, improvement on, on innovation and technology and what's the next level of items. So it's, I think it's a two-channel approach. Great. All right. So that concludes the, uh, the panel uh, Q&A. And uh, we'll take a few questions from the audience. Um, one of our uh, audience members, Diana, she had a, she had a question about organic. Um, and so, um, you know, what are you seeing there? Are you seeing increased demand? And Organic has a strong demand in our market. It's going to only grow. I think the question is, how does organic get their price more in line with antibiotic-free and other claims-based products? Because the price discrepancy between organic and basically everything else is is uh, is pretty far. So, you know, as Anne Marie mentioned, a lot of people are are struggling. They only have fifty dollars to spend on this trip, or only have X amount of dollars to spend. They would love to get organic, but not everyone can afford that right now. Um, his question is about sustainability. So he's saying that sustainability messaging is driving the CPG category. How might the, how might the beef industry or meat industry communicate their efforts on sustainability? There's the animal byproducts and waste and, and that part of it. Let's just talk about packaging. In New York City, we had a single-use styrofoam ban that went into place about a year ago. Look at Starbucks. They did away with the straws. You know, every day, millions, millions of packages are taken from supermarkets, consumed and tossed out and wind up in a landfill. You know, at a certain point, we need to address it. So the recyclability, the recyclable one trays, that's all a start. And I believe eventually we're going to get to a place where there's going to be a benefit offered to consumers or to manufacturers or to retailers to recycle packaging and bring it back and get it back. Consumers wash it out in their home, have it for pickup, but at a certain point, that has to that has to come into play. Great. 
so we have we have uh, time for one more question. Um, so this is a question from Kathleen. Um, what are the effects of pre-prepped meats having on the category in terms of sales, margins, and attracting millennials? Any product further value-added process product that comes into the market would only benefit from being introduced with a strong product sampling program. And we know we're at least a few months away from that because of COVID, but we've had tremendous success over the years sampling product. People want to be educated. They want to try it. They want to taste a sample and that will lead to increased sales. Great. Well, that concludes our, our webinar. I want to thank Kent and Anne-Marie and Zach for, for an excellent panel discussion. I want to thank Lou for moderating with me and also recognize Markham as today's sponsor. Um, and I'd like to thank uh, our guests. And uh, just a reminder, a recording of the session will be made available uh, following a processing period. Um, have a wonderful day and stay safe, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.